0: Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis.
1: Hey, folks. Today, we are recording our third round table, and we have Jason Mott, scott goldman who have been on the show before so their voices can going to be familiar and we also have two other voices that have not been on the show yet it's uh, nathan javoya and nicholas harrelson and both of them will be contributing to our blog as well and nathan is also one of the, the meme creators for our facebook page along with jason and uh how is everybody doing today i'm oh, doing good man nathan why don't you start since you chimed in first and give us a little background of yourself then i'll get nicholas to give us some background of himself as well
2: then we'll go from there okay i never know where to start with these things but uh i'm a chef i'm in my early 30s i have a wife and a child and uh i've been a christian my whole life grew up in the church um backslid a little bit kind of went hard left uh kind of had a little socialist thing going on for a little bit and uh Watching that fall apart and watching the culture drift so hard kind of brought me back to church. And so my mom kept uh, harassing me, trying to get me to go to church with her. And uh, just little by little, I just started coming back to Christ that way. And uh, at the same time, I was looking into, you know, philosophy and politics and different things like that. And I came across, uh, I don't know, he's kind of a... He's kind of smutty, but if you guys know who Dave Smith is from Part of the Problem, uh, he started, I started listening to him, and he kind of converted me into libertarianism a little bit and started red-pilling me. And then I just started reading some like Rothbard, uh, and uh, I mean the rest is history as far as that goes. And it was a weird journey into anarchism because uh, I was definitely a statist. Um, I grew up pretty poor and on welfare and— Homeless when I was little. So, like, I didn't understand why welfare was bad really until, uh, you know, just philosophy and just learning. And uh, so here I am, man. I've, I've been a full voluntarist for about four years now. That's cool. I always, I always find the, and not to take away from
1: other anarchists that come from the same backgrounds I do, is like is, uh, more conservative, but I've always found the, the anarchists that I come across that have come from the left a little more interesting just because their story is so is a little different than ours, you know, because back in the day we would have we'd have been at each other's throats probably back when I was a neocon and you were a socialist. It would have been a lot of fun. I remember a lot of those conversations I had with socialists in the background. Nicholas, why don't you give us some background yourself?
0: Hey yeah. So uh my name's Nicholas Harrelson. Um I was uh I grew up kind of your typical smug progressive you know, the, uh, the type, uh, I know what's best for you, you know, kind of a uh, smile on my face when I tell it to you kind of thing. Um, and, uh, I went to, uh, uh, Virginia military institute for my undergrad and, uh, joined the army. Uh, and I was in the infantry for six years. Um, I was wounded on my second tour in Iraq and, uh, came back, had a, a lot of issues stemming from that. Um, had a lot of, um. had several friends from that deployment uh, that committed suicide when we got back. And uh, that really kind of sparked a bit of introspection on my part uh, when it comes to, um, um, you know, first it started off with, with our politics and then our our international policies and things of that nature. And and it kind of grew from there slowly. Um, I worked for uh, the United States Senate as a uh, a VA caseworker uh, for several years, and uh, and that experience, while it was um, it was certainly interesting and uh, and and gave me uh, you know it was it was a wonderful experience in many ways. It was also a very very upsetting and very souring experience in others. Um, you know, I, I really got a, a a bird's eye view and and a, excuse me a hands on um, experience with bureaucracy. Um, and just just how uh, the state you know perhaps people within the state apparatus care deeply about others, but the state itself and the bureaucracy involved uh it it it, it takes away that that humanizing um, aspect that's so necessary for caring for others um so uh now i'm I'm actually uh a, a seminarian at Duke University um and I am um, working towards being ordained in the Anglican Catholic church. All right. Well, first we're
1: going to, we're going to talk about a couple of things. We're going to talk about a message that I got on our Facebook page, and then we're going to get into some stuff with the COVID-19 insanity that's going on right now. And let's start with the message first though. It's this guy, he likes the Facebook page. He likes what we're doing. He said, but he feels like we focus too much on the anarchy side of it. He said, you're missing the obedience of Christ on the cross, even if laws seem silly. Sometimes to be Christian, it meant you had to be a good Roman. Now Scott said something in our first uh, our first roundtable that made a lot of sense when he said that I understand that we're you know we try to focus too much on the anarchy or it seems like we're focused too much on on the anarchy side of it, but I can't really separate the two. And it made a lot of sense to me because whenever I was coming to anarchy, I was able to just, to see the correlation between my faith in Christ and the actual teachings of anarchy. Scott, why don't you start off with that? Okay,
3: Um, I'd like to piggyback off that. Um, I think what what gets missed a lot of times when we're reading the Bible is we take the Bible out of its cultural context and time, and what we don't see often is the Gospels are written in such a way to contrast Christ and Caesar, Um, and it's, you know, the kingdom of heaven is here. That's the announcement of the good news. Um, That being said, when we join that kingdom— We are in treason to the other. And that's what I think a lot of people miss is being a good Christian has nothing to do with Rome. Uh, Rome is the world system of operating and we are not of this world. And it seems like we sometimes don't detach ourselves from these ingrained doctrines that would like a lot of people say, Hey, you know, you're American, whether you like it or not, you know, well, that's really not true. I'm a child of God, whether you like it or not. Um, And that means I am separated from that, you know, because in a sense we're awake to the reality of who we are. Our identity is in Christ. My identity is not in a state, whether it be Rome or America.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think uh, what, what Scott is saying probably in its most simple form uh, at least as I take it is that um, there's a difference between, being obedient to God and being obedient to the state. Um, just because Christ is obedient to God does not imply one must be obedient to the state.
4: Yeah, I think uh, it's important for people to realize that, you know, we always get Romans 13 cited at us, of course. And there's two very specific Greek words one for obey and one for submit. And in Romans 13, the Greek word for obey is not there. It's the Greek word for submit. And the rest of Romans 13 says that the government wields a sword and that they'll kill you. And so really what Romans 13, part of it, is saying is, listen, if you don't submit, there's punishment coming, whether or not it's justified. And make sure that when you are standing up and when you're doing what you think is right, that you're prepared for those punishments to come. And you know, uh, there's different things that each of us do in interaction with the government um, that we we do that we risk mitigate. I don't pay my taxes because I support the government. I don't pay my taxes because I support their funding of abortion. I don't pay my taxes because I support them bombing kids and buses overseas. I don't pay my taxes to support building a wall to keep people searching for a better life for their family uh, out. I pay my taxes so that they won't come take my kids away from me. I pay my taxes so that they won't come drag me out of my house. I pay my taxes so that they won't come point a gun at me and imprison me. So, you know, there's that submission piece there. And there are things worth standing up for and there are things worth even dying for. And that's where you go along that spectrum. Everybody has a spectrum that's different for their individual life and their needs. And the spectrum of Romans 13 is is, hey, when you're living for Jesus, guess what? They're gonna probably come and try to kill you. Just wanted to let you know and, and be prepared for that. And we see that in Acts 17, you know, uh, they storm Jason's house. Name is a coincidence there. They storm his house and they drag him out, and they tell him how Paul and Silas are, you know, just causing trouble all over the world, and Jason's harboring them, and and, and he's helping cause trouble, and, and the there's turmoil everywhere, and they command him to be beaten. It, you know, define and figure out your own spectrum. And stand up and endure what you can when the boot comes down. That that's really what Romans 13 is about. And I think that's what the I think that's what the end of Romans 13 gets at with, you know, pay your taxes, try to be peaceable, and all the other things that it mentions there is, hey, remember, choose the battles to fight that are worth fighting. Don't fight battles that aren't worth fighting. I
1: heard uh, Larkin Rose say something one time as far as paying taxes, and it's the truth. When you think about it, he says, we don't, just like you just said, Jason, we're not paying taxes because we're supporting the government. And what he said, he goes, we're doing it in self-defense, and it's the truth. If we don't pay taxes, what are they going to do to you? Scott? I just wanted to piggyback off that, actually.
3: I really like how he said that. That is what we do. We, in a sense, we pay taxes because we don't want to engage in violence we'd have to defend ourselves um but i think what a lot of people miss also is you know that we're, we're people bring up you know render under caesar's what is caesar's and and to god's what is god's and a lot of people look at that as like well caesar has some possessions and god has his possessions but the reality is it's scripture says that the earth is the lord's and all it contains so that's the question that the jewish people probably would have been hearing but also in that in Matthew, Christ says at the end there, um, during the great commission is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. He's not saying he's sharing it with Caesar. I think that is like a big claim that we have to recognize because everybody would have known in that day and time that all power on earth was Caesar's. But for Christ to say that, um, That's what we need to really be paying attention to. So if I do good to my neighbor, it's not because Rome is telling me to do it. It's because that is what the Lord has put in my heart to do. And that's what I need to be obedient to. Um, And the world can try to take that and be like, oh, no, man, you're, you're feeding the poor through this nonprofit thing that we allowed you to do as obedience to us. No, it is not. I'm doing it because it's loving my neighbor as myself. I am my brother's keeper, and that is my divine calling and my divine purpose. And it has nothing to do with the state.
1: I think I've, I've heard this this point made too before. Um, if we were able to dictate where our tax money went to, we might not be as offended by it, you know. Because if if they actually use the tax dollars like they say they're using them, it'd be one thing. But they're not using these tax dollars to. To help the needy. If you look at how 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 funded our military is right now, and what what they're using these actual tax dollars do to, to kill other people, that's I think that's where we kind of, we kind of have a problem with it. You know, it's not. I'm happy to give, but I don't want to be coerced into it, and I want to be able to know where that money's going and not to harm other people. Nicholas,
0: I had a uh, a friend recently that actually uh, offered up. Uh, the passage about render under Caesar, what is Caesar's uh, in reference to uh, moral culpability that we have for the things done with our tax money. Um, I think the, the context was uh, I asked the question, um, you know, what what moral culpability does the Christian uh, bear um, for the evil that is done with the taxes that we um, that we give to the state um, and his. His uh, answer was that Christ said to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's um, meaning, coin, um, and that he obviously did not have issue with whatever Rome did with it um, because he said to do it. And and of course, I took issue with that. uh, And I I went uh, along the lines of uh, what what Scott was saying in the argument um, in in. You know, asking you know what what can be Caesar's that is not already God's, Um, which I know um, typically the uh, the way that that passage is read is is in the context of of the image that is um, that the coin bears and the image that the person bears the Imago Dei. But you know, I I found that uh, to be uh, a little bit of an upset upsetting um, interpretation of the, the passage because I. I very much do believe that there is some moral um, responsibility that we bear um, with with our the money that we give to the state. Um, And I'm curious to know what what everyone else kind of feels about that.
1: Well, let me ask you something, too, because. What you say, give and Jason said this before, and I and I I totally agree with what Jason says, it's it's not we're not taxpayers. This money is taken from us at, at the point of a gun. And do you see it that same way with what you just said, Nicholas, or I'm just making sure I didn't misunderstand you? No,
0: I, I do. Um, and, and I guess the question yeah, should be better framed, um, not in terms of giving, um, but in terms of ultimately we, we provide money to the state, whether we want to or not. And that money is used um, for some good, perhaps, but for quite a bit of evil um, around the world. Um, and, and to be quite honest, it, it is something that upsets me, um, you know, on a, on a very, uh, base level. Um, you know, it's, it's upsetting to me to think, um, because I've gotten to see some of the things that, that is done, uh, with the money that is, is taken from others. And, uh, you know, and I, and I know that I've only seen a very small amount of that. Um, and, and the, the even more upsetting part, especially framed within, um, you know, the current time with, uh with this being uh, Independence Day weekend and whatnot, you know uh, people celebrate it and don't they don't they don't even care to ask questions. It's not that they don't think to. It's that they just believe that it, it's got to be good. you know we, we, we only do good things around the world I and mean, nobody cares to question it. Well, I mean if, you, if they actually started questioning what
1: they, what was going on then that would that would kind of put some moral onus on them in my opinion. Nathan, I'm going to let you talk Nick. Let's hear what you have to say about this.
2: Well, whenever I think about taxes, um, I like to think of the state as like a highway robber. You know, uh, I don't think that we're morally uh, culpable for what our government spends that money on uh, because we are, you know, let's say a robber points a gun at you, takes your money, and they take that money and they go hire a hitman to kill someone. It's, it's not our fault. You know, uh, that money is taken, whether we like it or not, you know, we don't even send in our taxes. They take it directly from our check. Uh, I think it is too bad though, that, you know, we're associated with our government's actions and, uh, around the world we're looked at as Americans and, uh, we're looked at as, you know, the bully, the guy, you know, the big bully on the yard with the stick. And it is really unfortunate. Um, but you know, I, it's not really our fault and um i think that it can be if you are the type of person that um well if you just, if you are a sadist if you uh if you're sitting there celebrating on the 4th of july all decked out like uh you know head to toe like a jingoistic you know psychopath maybe you do kind of take some of that i don't know that's just my thoughts
1: well uh, I, that's interesting because i think it's one way to look it you can look at it one way as an anarchist and, and and i can see where you're coming from if if you view it from an anarchist uh viewpoint now if you got a status that is continually putting these these war in office that are these these same people who keep taking our money from us then i think there is some responsibility that should be held with the, with the status side of this because you i think you are responsible for what's going on if you continue to put them in office you see what i'm saying if you if you can't if you can't look at what's going on in the world, the, the damage that, that our government is causing across the world and ignore it and and continue to put these same people in because you're so worried about your team winning, you know, I think there is some responsibility. It should be held with these folks that are continually putting these people in office. I, I actually, and maybe I'm too, uh, I don't know what the word is. Maybe I'm too, I take too hard of a line on it, but I actually blame the voters more than I do the politicians. We know what the state's going to do, and we continue to put
2: them in office. Stop putting them in office. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's a propaganda machine, man. People are told to vote, you know, and it's pushed on you and pushed on you. And uh, but I agree with you. I think if you vote, then you are kind of culpable. Uh, you put your you know you put your name in the hat for that person, and then when he decides to you know carpet bomb half the Middle East. There's a little bit of blood on your hands.
3: Yeah, um that reminds me of a similar uh discussion I've had with a friend where he he holds soldiers more accountable to war crimes than he does the government because they are the ones who fulfill the order. And I've had a hard time with that because I know uh, I have friends in the military. I'm in a military town and I know how indoctrinated they are. So there's a little bit of a how do you say um uh, an empathy or a sympathy I have towards my friends who've served and fought. Um but in one sense, he is right. You know, we have to wake up to this. We have to wake up to morality, in a sense, because I don't. Uh, I think it was Nicholas who was saying it. Um, you know, wondering about our, our moral stance on where our money winds up, um, in a sense. And I don't think we have a moral stance. We have a moral stance, or if not where our money ends up, but we have a moral stance of where we align ourselves and what we put behind that. Because, like Jason said, I'm paying taxes, so. I can have a family. I'm not paying taxes so I can support what they believe in. Um, That's the difference. Now, if I believed that America was the right in the world and every nation has its own uh, narrative that promotes them as the the good guy, it's very common. And that's where I want to say, that's the idolatry. Um, We know the goodness is in the model of Christ who is God in the flesh. So if we follow the state, then I, That's where I see where we go wrong right off the bat, and when we marry the two, um, that's where we go wrong, in my opinion. The morality, it's – I remember having a friend um, who grew marijuana, (laughs) and he was challenged by other people, like, well, that could wind up in the hands of kids, man. Don't you think you're kind of uh, morally culpable in that? And he said, no, it's whoever puts it in the hands of the kids. And then he used the the logic of, do you blame Anheuser-Busch for kids drinking underage? No, none of us do. It's whoever bought that kid that alcohol.
1: Going back to the the soldier part of this, and that's something I've struggled with and still kind of struggle with too. And I try not to speak to it because I've had questions, similar questions posed to me in that regard, because I've never served in the military. And right after 9-11, I tried to sign up for the National Guard in Arkansas. I was ready to go fight. You know, I thought it was the right thing to do. And, I did not pass. Uh, I was four pounds overweight. <laughs> so I was not a. I, they did not accept me. They told me I could go join the Marines, but I wasn't interested in doing it full time. Anyway, so I, I've had a hard time putting the blame on a soldier because there are following orders. And Nicholas could probably speak to this better than I can, obviously, since he served. And so I don't know. I, I go back and forth with that I try because that that question comes up a lot with with me, and so I just try to. I'm very vague in my answer because I try not to upset people because I don't think it's. Uh, I don't I don't know that it, it would be fruitful to do that to upset somebody over it because I've got friends and family that are served. I got friends that are still serving, so I try to try to avoid that conversation because I don't really feel like I'm I'm the probably the right person to speak to it, Nicholas.
0: I guess I can, I can speak a little bit to it. Um, you know, it's very similar in, in how I view police officers. Um, you know, I, I certainly don't think that all police officers are just naturally bad people. Um, I don't think all soldiers are naturally bad people who are out to do bad things. I do think that the profession, however, um, has a a propensity for putting good people in bad situations where they have to choose between their livelihood um, and their their means of security in life and in remaining you know morally uncompromised Um, and and in in too many instances we don't have people who are out to to act overtly evil we have you know I think it's been described as like the the banality of evil where where good people just make bad decisions because they're put in tough situations um and and they don't they don't make the right choice um you know and that's um I think it's a reality of certain professions um but you know I think that that you know it doesn't make us. Um, you know, we shouldn't as, as voluntarists or Christians or what have you, you know, um, immediately turn our backs to these people, um, you know, because they're just as in need of forgiveness and love as the rest of us. Um, but I do think, you know, it it is difficult. You know, I, I look back on my experiences and, um, you know, luckily I wasn't put in any positions where, you know, I was forced to make a choice between like an outright act of of evil in my mind and, um, and, and, or, you know, remaining secure in my job. Um, But, you know, that, that's probably comes down to luck. Um, I'm sure there are many people who I've served with, who I I served with that um, were forced into such positions. Um, and, And, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a terrible reality of the situation, I think.
4: Yeah, I was, as Nicholas was talking, I was kind of reminded of a couple things. You know, uh, there's a saying that I find mostly true, and that's, uh, are there any good cops? Well, no, because the good cops quit or got fired. And there's a transition period, and Paul alludes to this when he's talking about when he was a Pharisee and says that he did it in all good conscience. Um, There's... Kind of, I kind of view it as three different people. There's the people who are doing it in all good conscience. They don't realize what they're doing uh, and how it's bad and how it's evil. There's the people that realize that it's evil and it's bad, and they like that part. I had somebody tell me once that he was going to join the military because he just needed to go kill people. He He wanted to kill somebody. Uh, I had another buddy that told me if he didn't get signed up for another tour in Iraq, you know, uh, he would probably have to go have some rehab and go through some mental stuff because he was getting the urge to just kill people. Uh, and he knew that he could go do it freely in Iraq and and Afghanistan if he got deployed, and that it, he could kill people and it would be okay. You know, so that's the the two people. And then there's the people that quit. You know, Nicholas is a good example. He talked about it in his intro he he realized how bad it all was and then he got out you know the cops that go and try to stop a bad cop get fired for not upholding the you know team spirit and everything that they have going on and so what i try to do is listen to how somebody's speaking and then try to determine which kind of group they fall into and then that's kind of how i know to frame my words if they really think they're doing it in all good conscience you know I'm throwing out more questions if they just are evil and want to do evil things, you know, then it's not questioning really anymore to get them to think it's more direct statements about how what they're doing is wrong. Uh, I'm actually sitting here in my uh, live religious tea, no war, no Jesus shirt. And I was at the gas pump earlier and I slid out of the car to get gas and forgot I was wearing it. And the guy at the pump next to me, did a double take at my shirt and he was standing there with a Vietnam veteran hat on, you know, um, can I, is it somebody that has a good conscience and that's willing to change, you know? And, and so my messages are tailored depending on who I kind of decipher I'm talking to.
1: Well, you brought up the, the police and I, I've mentioned this before on the show and in, on social media. I I tried for a long time but it was before the protests started before the riots were happening. I tried for a long time to view the, the police officers as just a few bad apples because I've seen, and, and not all anarchists, but I've seen some anarchists just totally berate the police force. And I've, I've got friends that are, that are police officers, but the problem I had, and I had to come to realization, watching what was going on in these protests and these riots, they were not, and I go back to my study of the, of the United States Constitution. I know these guys take an oath to the, to, to the Constitution, and what I've seen happening, I know they are not following that oath. And I, and I guess I, I had a different perspective with the, with the with the police because we were seeing it every day. You don't see it like w- what's going on in the Middle East. You don't see it every day on TV like we were with the protesters or on social media because these. These guys were out there pushing people around, shooting them with rubber bullets, tear gassing them, and they were protesting. Now, you have to at some point realize that the police officers, probably the aggressor in all of this. And I understand there's nefarious actors in behind these riots. I get that. But at some point, we need, they, it needs to be understood that maybe they're just defending themselves against the cops who are aggressing against them during these protests. I mean... Some of these people were walking to where I saw a guy lost his eye. He was going to work, got shot with a rubber bullet, just walking to work. You know, I just – I can't excuse it anymore. And I'm not going to be running around, you know, being a cop hater either. But I I just don't view the whole situation as something that we need. I, I feel like they are more of an enemy to us than they are.
0: Yeah, so I thought us. I would go ahead, go ahead and broach this topic before Jason can bring it up with a, uh, a joke of some type. Uh, I am – <laughs> actually still in uh i'm i'm in ROTC now um and i'm trying to work towards chaplaincy in the national guard um which is you know I, I mean i could go into detail about the rationalization behind it but i won't unless uh unless y'all have questions uh so one of the the interesting things that i've noted um over the last year of being in RTC at duke um they have been very receptive to uh, a lot of my stances and beliefs, um, I actually I found a, a, a foothold into uh, discussing my uh, my general pacifism um, um, through talking about Smedley Butler, Major General Smedley Butler. You know, it's it's interesting when you can speak in the language of the military and you you present a man as uh, as decorated as Major General Smedley Butler was. He, I believe, had three. Uh, medals of Honor. Who was a a pacifist? He wrote um, "War is a racket," um, and uh, and he was he was a an, an overt pacifist by by the end of his uh, uh, time in the military. You know, and, and and presenting it in such a fashion that you know who has more of an interest in the the you know the justification or the the righteousness of war than the soldiers who will be fighting it um when when i when i kind of posed it in in that sense you know um it really it really caused a lot of you know a lot of the um uh, my fellow the cadets at duke to really kind of pause and think about it and 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 everybody was very receptive to it i um i also did a roundtable round table at duke divinity um on um, it's called uh waging peace in vietnam which was uh, a history of the uh, active duty underground uh, anti war movement uh in the GI ranks during uh Vietnam. Um I was the only person on the round table who never served in Vietnam so I never quite figured out why they asked me to join it. But um, you know, it was interesting. Uh, quite a few quite a few of the cadets from ROTC uh came and went through the exhibit with me. Um and uh and, and ROTC was quite open about uh uh or happy to to let me talk about it and and uh and and tell about the the, the history of it from, from what I knew. Um, so, you know, it's, it's interesting to, to when you pose it in such a way, like, you know, who, who has more of a stake in this, um, you know, whether we're going to war for useless aims and useless goals, um, you know, nobody does more so than the soldiers you're going to be fighting. And, uh, and that seemed to resonate quite a bit.
1: Let's. I, I want to ask you this, Ben, and since we started this project and I've, I've talked to several veterans that have come over to the anarchist side of things and one of my questions i always like to ask is and i think you just answered this question but do you, are you seeing more people waking up to it or are you getting more pushback from what you believe or what you, how, how you see things now but you know and i get i get different answer, answers from different veterans i guess it just depends on where they're at but but i do get some pushback and we've had uh john d'angelo on the show and I asked him the same thing and he said, he said, I've gotten more pushback. He said, but it's fair pushback. So he's, he doesn't, he doesn't try to push back against them. He can speak to it. I can't. So how how are you re- being received?
0: You know, I, I, I have to look at it in terms of degrees. Um, you know, um, very few, I mean, there, there have certainly been some that have completely come over to, to uh, thinking in this way. Um, Generally speaking, they're veterans. They're not currently in, uh, currently serving. Um, But I've learned to look at it in in terms of degrees. Um, You know, if I can just perhaps get people to think more critically about the activities they're involved in, um, then then that is a success to me. Um, You know, if I can get people to more critically view the history of our conflicts in the world you know, then that that is a, a small victory in and of itself. And, and and to be quite frank, it's it's what sparked me eventually ending where I am. Um, and so, you know, there there has been quite a bit, uh, quite a few people that have been very receptive and open to considering certain things in different ways. Um, and so, you know, I think I think that that is. Um, a very good thing um, for for us as a, a, a people um, here in, in the United States, um, as well as for the rest of the world. You know, the problem is, is you know, it's is just not enough people think this way. Not enough people are are critical, um, not necessarily in like a uh, a demeaning sense, but critical of. Of our activities, uh, they don't. They don't wish to look for the potential bad that comes from it. They only want to focus on the, you know, the so-called or supposed good that comes from things.
1: Anybody got anything else you want to speak to? Then we'll, we'll go into a sec another topic. Yeah, maybe touching back
3: on the original question a little bit about um, being a good Christian sometimes means being a good Roman. Um, yeah, that, that to me just kind of seems like we have to get that figured out in our head that, you know, we're, we are definitely, we are not the state and uh, realize our true identity is, is in Christ. And in a sense, I'll use some modern, um, ways of looking at it, I guess, is that can't be appropriated by the state. And sometimes I think we allow it to be. So if we want to say, oh, he's a good American, um, you're really trying to appropriate the goodness that I have, that Christ is, um, inspired me to be Uh, and you're you're attributing it to something else Um, but the core of it is like when you're doing good to your neighbor that's that's a christ-like thing it has nothing to do with the state i guess that's probably just one of the things i'd close with on that topic because it seemed to be a something that that guy was really uh adamant
1: about all right so as was mentioned earlier we were recording on the weekend of the fourth of july and the COVID-19 thing is, does not seem to be going away. It seems to be ramping up as far as mask mandates and stuff. And I was uh, at the grocery store the day before the fourth. And I, I want to say everybody, but maybe four or five or six of us was wearing a mask. And you can really see people starting to want to push this on them. And I don't think the state is going to need, necessarily need to enforce it themselves. And they're going to re- they're going to rely on the citizens to do this. now. From what I can tell, so I live right outside of Memphis, Memphis, the city of Memphis itself passed a mandate where if you're out in public, you have and you can't do any social distancing, then you have to be wearing a mask. Now, they also say if you have some underlying health issues, you're not required to wear a mask. How? But then you go to now they're in Tennessee, the governor issued an executive order giving the mayors the authority to decide on their own how they want to handle the mask mandate. So he's basically taking himself out of it. And do you guys see this as the new normal? I'm so sick of that term too. I myself, and I I say this a lot, I'm pretty much sick of talking about it, but I cannot wear a mask myself because an underlying health issue. Should I have to explain that every freaking time when I come across somebody because I'm starting to get really frustrated with people And I spent a lot of time at home this weekend just because I didn't want to have to go deal with any of this nonsense. Give me some advice on how you guys think I could handle this. Jason?
4: You know, so here's where the uh, liberty perspective, that's where, you know, we're anarchists, so we focus on liberty and individual rights. And the liberty perspective here is, first, we have to determine, are you responsible for everything your body gives off and what that might or might not do to another person. So that's the base question. And so the you know, you can go through tons of scenarios. You know, right now it's the stupid mass because supposedly the droplets that they catch are is gonna solve everything, but the droplets that they aren't catching because the mass don't catch and filter that small, you know, oh nobody cares about those. Um, but what you do is you start creating scenarios. And so I always take a principle that even if it's just for testing purposes, and then I apply some scenarios to it. So if I'm responsible for what my body gives off completely all the time, A, that means mass or 24-7. That means flu season because you might have something, because you have allergies. Because anything, that means it's, it's a permanent thing. And so the, the question I always ask to pro-mask people is, wh- where was your mask four months ago for flu season? Where was your mask in 2018 when flu season was off the charts? Where was your mask in 2009 for H1N1? Where was it for swine flu? Where, wh- where is it? Where's it been? And it hasn't been anywhere. Nobody's used them because it wasn't really about that. And so now we're having to try to push back against this idea that you're responsible. And so, you know, am I responsible for a fart because it smells bad to you? Am I responsible because my skin naturally sheds and gives off dust particles and uh, you're allergic to dust? Uh, Where does it end? You see, the principle quickly breaks down that you can't be responsible for everything your body might give off. You'd have to walk around in a filtered hazmat suit 24-7. It's not possible. And the reason it's not possible is because people think of uh, rights as government-mandated rights. They don't think about rights as natural rights. And in natural rights, my body is naturally how it is and i'm naturally allowed to put on it what i want and what i don't want and so under natural rights no i'm not responsible because my skin shed everybody's skin shed we're all we're all shedding skin you know i'm not responsible because somebody's allergic to that they're responsible if they're allergic to that and so you know that's the base principle to me is the way they're going on about mass is uh, if they don't continue it And up the ante to 24-7, 365, then they were just faking it for this. And one thing I can't stand is people who aren't consistent. And so if you truly believe that it helps and you truly believe that you're responsible, you better never take the thing off. Um, And and that's just not going to happen. That's not the case. People are only going to put up with it for so long. And so they need to stand back and look at the principle. And the principle is you're not responsible.
1: But do you think that people are going to get sick of this and stop doing it? Because it seems like it's going the other direction to me. Like there's more and more and more and more people wearing these masks these days.
4: They're going to go along with it for as long as they're told COVID-19 is a big deal. Um As soon as that's over and out of everybody's mind, six weeks after whenever they tell us it's ended, people will relax and go back to doing what they were doing. Nobody likes the mess. Nobody wants to do it. They're all doing it because they think it does something. But if they think it does something, they have to keep doing it for forever because the precedent that they've set is they're responsible for every single droplet of spit that comes out when they talk. Or every single particle of the air that came out of their lungs. That's a forever thing. The, the precedent's forever. And so these people just aren't sincere. They aren't thinking. And what I was gonna say with my second point is they're not listening to how nature works, how the human body works. You know, um, the human body works with catching small portions of viruses and bacteria and fending it off. In gaining that immunity, uh, the people as a whole work together. When that happens to a bunch of people, to have herd immunity takes about eighty uh, percent. Once eighty percent of people have the immunity built up in their immune system, enough people have caught it and killed the virus that it has nobody to transmit to. It naturally just kills itself. And you know, when when you're thinking about an immune system, we need that to happen. So having everybody mask up doesn't help anyone long term. It only makes people more vulnerable more often to diseases. Um, you know, a, a lot of what people have been saying about the mask is, well, uh, if you notice, Japan hasn't had as many cases and as many deaths because they're they're a you know mask wearing culture and they work, and so you know that's really helping their society right now when you go look at the the flu pandemic of 2018 when it was flu was spiking off the charts when they were actually uh having hospital overruns and actually having to hospitalize people for the flu intense japan had the same spike that we did you know so if the mask wearing culture really helped what, what why didn't it stop the flu why did they they ha- they had 1.5 million cases a week over 1% of their population a week during the peak of that flu season. Uh same same off the charts that we did here in the US with no masks. Well, well why I thought the masks work. They don't for one and for two they do have a mask culture and so they've been wearing them longer and they don't have the immunities built up that maskless people do. And you know back in the 30s and 40s and 50s, uh, parents would have chickenpox parties because if you hurried and got the chickenpox out of the way while you were a kid, it was easier than when you got it when you're an adult. And so, what what it really all leads us to is, and and here's the thing I hate to, to tell everybody is, it's headed towards mandated vaccines for everybody. That's where the precedent really is going to end up, if. Uh, And it seems the government wants to. But if the people go along with this idea and this precedent that you're responsible for everything your body gives off, um, that's the only natural ends. And, you know, it's funny. You see uh, like Congressman Thomas Massey talking about how, you know, we can't force people to inject themselves and then saying, oh, yeah, you should wear your mask. It's the same principle. And so how he can say oh yeah you should we need to do the one and uh, oh yeah i can't believe that anybody would mandate the other but it's the same thing it's the same thing of saying that you're responsible for what your body gives off and how it affects somebody else and that principle is scary and what they can do with it is is fearful I, i'm fearful for that
3: i really like what jason said and also to give us all that science cuz that's that's what's getting ignored a lot is people are saying believe science and then jason spits out some very true science that they are actually withholding so we can't actually believe science um the the thing that really gets me over the whole mass thing is this is social engineering i think at its finest and i'm not the best student of history but when i look at things like say the underground railroad you know you had good people doing a good thing and then eventually the government jumps on the back and says yeah we're gonna kind of we're going to free slaves now. But the good people already started it. But in a sense, they came behind and, and wanted to take the glory. And in a sense, you do hear more of the Civil War than you do of the Underground Railroad. um But I think they learned, in a sense. The government learns from things like this because it really seems what they're doing in this situation is they're like the president lets the state have their state rights, which is supposed to be that way the whole time. And now the governors are telling their um, mayors that they have freedom to do whatever, like their county or their city or whatever they're, they're over, and then the mayor, in a sense, is putting it on the, the duty onto the citizens to shame one another with the same command, so to speak, um, and I think, it, in a sense, it's brilliant because it's going to put people in line who will, who will say, fall victim to social shaming, and they don't have to look like the tyrant. They are able to put their tyranny into the to the mouths of the people that believe in them, um, that's kind of what I see. What's going on, and where Jason was saying, like you kind of follow this to its its extreme, and you're you're seeing where they're trying to lead it. You know, yes, the mandatory vaccinations, and I, I already have people that try to shame me over that because um, I don't believe in it myself. I believe in having a healthy immune system and doing the best you can with what you got to work with. Um, and then any more. Than that is actually putting too much on an individual to bear himself.
1: Yeah, and I, I don't remember if I mentioned this or not, but if a person chooses to wear a mask, man, go have a ball. I, I don't care, but don't don't tell me I have to because I'm tired of explaining to you why I can't. But if you want to do it, man, just voluntarily wear a mask. Do it. But I don't I don't believe in a mandate. I think that is complete tyranny. And maybe I mean you were saying maybe the governments will learn from this. I'm hoping that the people learn from this because those are the ones who are responsible for putting these same people in office. And I hope that that they learn from this. And I, I don't know, man, I'm real cynical. And I just, I just don't see it. Nicholas?
0: Yeah, so I got two things to say. Uh, one, Jason, the people will forget about this in November, 2020, when Kanye West is elected president of these United States <laughs> with Elon <laughs> Musk serving as his vice president. <laughs> And two, Matt Brown is back at UNC, and if Craig's underlying condition <laughs> causes college football to get canceled, I'm going to lose my mind, and I'm going to drive to next <laughs> That's all I got.
1: <laughs> you guys, people listening to this, you have, you didn't, we spent 30 to 45 minutes before we started recording going back and forth about barbecue and smoked meats and football and – We'll we'll probably get into that right before we stop recording.
0: You know, on on a serious note, you know, I I don't I don't know exactly where I stand on the whole issue. You know, I haven't I haven't given it a tremendous amount of thought. Um, I I have no you know noticed and I've observed that the the they they've done a disservice to themselves as far as uh, the the state is concerned, as far as government's concerned. Um, You know. They've completely bungled the entire message um, that they appear to be trying to uh, to get out, which is that masks save lives. Now, Um, you know, it it started off when when COVID nineteen became um, uh, a a big issue um, that masks didn't do anything for anyone in regards to the virus, Mm -hmm. Um, and they stuck with that line. Uh, for quite a while and and presented all the science behind it. Um, And then slowly it has transitioned from, um, from, you know, a a mask for you and a mask for them does nothing. Um, Please don't wear masks. You're only depriving the people who need them in the hospitals to, you know, if you don't have a mask, you're killing people um, potentially. Um, And, and, and now they're showing science supposedly for how that's the case. Um, and so, you know, I, I kind of feel like my my current understanding of the whole issue and my um, beliefs surrounding it are are really a result of the completely bungled message that they have uh, provided so far. You know, like, I, I don't know. I don't know which one to believe and which one's right. You know, I was told that I was being a a jerk in the beginning of the whole thing if I wore a mask and now I'm being told I'm a jerk if I don't wear a mask. And it's just like, well, which one is it folks? I had a a buddy of mine. We were talking about this
1: over the phone here two or three weeks ago. And he's, he said, I'm going to continue to wear a mask as long until I feel comfortable not wearing a mask. But in the same breath, he would he says, but I want you to, I want you to have the same, Uh, Choice, Like if you want to wear one, if you don't want to one. So he's so, I I wish people would look at it that way instead of you've got to do this or you're killing me are killing my grandma or vice versa. You know what I'm saying? So I want, I want people to just leave each other alone and let, if a person wants to wear a mask, wear a mask. I don't, you know, if it makes you feel comfortable, man, do it. I'm all about it. Nathan.
2: Well, kind of the way I feel about it is that Liberty has already lost the argument. Uh, we lost that argument years ago and, um, We're looked at like he was talking about Thomas Massey saying that there's no way we should uh, do mandated vaccinations. But then he the other side of his mouth, he'll tell you that he has to wear a mask. It's it's a political statement at this point. You know, it would be actual political suicide for him to tell you not to wear a mask because then they could easily point to a spike in his county or something. And he would be blamed for all that, uh, you know, all that disease and things like that. And you know what people aren't really talking about is like, if you give the government the benefit of the doubt, which I never really do, uh, they felt like maybe they had to do something right. So they doubled down, they went nuts, they shut down the entire economy. And if this really is nothing, let's say this is a nothing burger. Uh, you know, we've got an over 99.6%, you know, uh, survival rate. They're responsible for all that. You know, people lost their homes, people lost their jobs, people lost, you know, everything that they invested everything in. Uh, and so now they really kind of have to double down. They can't admit that, oops, you know, because how are you ever, ever going to fix what they did? I think uh, even politicians get afraid, but I think
1: they're afraid of losing their jobs. And I think that they're afraid that if, if a lot of people were dying from this, which we already see that they're not. So that's what I don't understand why they've doubled down on it, because the the suicide rate in Tennessee alone since it started was higher than the, the COVID deaths in Tennessee. And it was all a result of being locked down, people losing their jobs.
2: Yeah. Well, I think that's why they have to double down at this point. There's been so much damage that they're just doing damage control at this point. They have to say – that this is the worst thing they have to say that we need to do this to protect us because if they don't, if they admit like, Hey, we made a mistake. We probably shouldn't have shut all this down. Like my bad. I'm sorry. They're, they're significantly responsible for that, man. <laughs> you know, and they're going to have to answer to that and they're going to get sued. Yeah. Well, I hope so. Honestly, i actually hope it does come to that. Jason.
4: Well, I mean, it just, uh, To think that the government's going to save everyone from their illnesses is just absurd, for one. Um, But it's amazing to me how, for decades, we've had all the information about proper PPE for hospital uh, and, and doctor's offices and what people should wear and what they shouldn't, and studies after studies after studies after studies on different things. And and somehow in the last two months, decades of science is wrong, and this is what you should do, with no studies, just because it's, it's on a whim, basically. And it's almost to me as if they realized that they were going to uh, pull one over on us, and they kind of did. They passed the first big, large bailout for all the companies, and they, they pulled one over on everybody. But I think... I think the mask came from they realized uh, the hole is too deep and they couldn't just print their way out of it. And I think the masks is a way to, like Nathan was saying, uh, play it off as they didn't screw up and play it off as you know they're still trying to work towards saving everybody. I mean, even Greg Abbott this week, you know, in his plea for everybody to wear masks or be fined $250, even though a week ago he said that government couldn't mandate masks, that was unconstitutional. Uh, he he basically, his, his plea was, please wear the mask so we can open up the Texas economy. That's admitting that they messed up. And... Uh, again, I think personally, and it's, you can call me a conspiracy theorist, I think the mess up was they thought they were going to run that money printer a whole lot harder than they were able to. Um, and so now they need everybody back to work because they need wallets to siphon money out of um, because the the money printer just wasn't working. And I think part of the reason is, is because the, the feds only issue money off of loans that they can secure. If the world economy is flipped upside down such that they just can't go out and issue and get people to buy three trillion in bonds and different things uh, to fund their money printers, the money printers don't go, you know, and so I think that that's where they really got themselves in a pickle, um, and that's where the mass things come from—is trying to save face. What they should have come out and said, if they were principled, is, "We we don't have the authority." To close down the economy and it's a right of yours to transact your own business how you see fit and you know good luck but the one thing i did want to say towards uh what was just said too is if it was really that bad people would have done it on their own there's there's if there were a million people dying a month right now people would be in their homes quivering they're not in their homes quivering because it's not happening. The, the market, which includes just the citizens, the people, responds to risk how it needs to respond. It doesn't need some government estimating their own personal risk and forcing people to do anything. If it was bad enough, people would be buying hazmat suits and walking around in hazmat suits. But it's not that bad. And so that's why governments having to mandate this. The other thing that I hate is really annoying is uh, the um, memory of the average citizen apparently seems to be about four weeks, because six and eight weeks ago they were telling everybody, "Hey, y'all, we're getting these big massive tests." And so when you see a spike in six weeks or so when the tests get rolling and under you know heavy use, don't be shocked don't be surprised it's just testing it's just going to be confirmed covid cases you're going to see a spike it's natural it's normal we're testing a lot more and and now we're testing a lot more and everybody's flipping out that there's a spike they just told us 6 weeks ago the spike was coming were, were you not listening or did you forget? Everybody managed to forget, and I don't know how that, that happens. I don't think they were listening. Well, it could be that. <laughs> I mean, I
1: just I think that they it's a day by day thing with them, honestly. I I think that they six weeks ago, I mean, I couldn't tell you what I was doing six weeks ago either, but I do remember what you were talking about. And the fact that people can't recognize that we have more and more testing, we're gonna have more and more cases. But guess what's happening? The death rate's plummeting. Fewer and fewer people are dying from this, and I don't think people recognize that enough.
4: Well, it's because they're being still sold the the lies of, well, the hospitals are overrun. They set up triage units and chips and stuff everywhere and spent bajillions of dollars, and none of them were used. And so supposedly now the hospitals are all full, but they haven't re-put up all the uh, temporary triage sites. Why is that? because they're not really that full. Here in Harris County, they told us that ICU usage was 97% and we were on the cusp of being without an ICU bed for a COVID patient. So we got to do all the masks and we got to do all the social distancing that doesn't work so that we don't run out of ICU beds. The hospital CEOs came out and said, hey, y'all, uh, we normally have ICU usage in the nineties. It's this is that's normal usage. There's nothing to be concerned about. And nobody everybody latched onto the governments, were running out of space, but didn't listen to the hospital executives that said that's that's normal usage. You know, and and people don't think because if they were thinking they would say, Oh, a business has to make money. ICUs cost a lot of money to run. Why would they have two hundred percent capacity that they would never use? That business would go out of business. They wouldn't make money. So you know, a business like a hospital will always keep supply kind of with demand because that's where maximum profitability is for them. And so, yeah, usage in the 90s makes sense to me. But everybody was panicking. We got a text message. The uh, Harris County judge text message everybody in Harris County with this uh, national alert type deal that popped up on your phone to tell you about how the hospitals were full. It wasn't the truth. It was a blatant lie. Uh, but they're trying to generate fear. And, you know, that's my favorite definition of fear. False evidence appearing real. And and boy, if this hadn't been the epitome of some fear.
0: Yeah, you know, so going back to college football, um, an an interesting observation. Uh, I listen to a lot of sports radio. And, and the the big thing they've been talking about recently is all the teams that are suddenly getting you know, 20 and 30 and 40 um, players testing positive for, uh, for the virus. Um, and, you know, uh, to caveat this, like, I, I do believe that the virus is real, obviously. Um, I do believe that it is deadly to certain people. I really do. Um, um, but interestingly, all these teams that have tested, you know, large numbers of players testing positive, there is yet to be a symptomatic case um and so you know they're they're getting these big big numbers like in clemson they had i think it was 31 or 32 players that tested positive for covid and none of them were symptomatic um oklahoma i think had like 20 that tested positive none of them were symptomatic um and so you know i, I find that a, a curious observation and it seems to be holding true throughout uh at least the the college football ranks um and so you know and i I think i think that there's enough um evidence coming from from that specific um um uh, demographic that you can extrapolate that somewhat to to a lot of the other cases uh throughout the country and the world you know that that there are you know a very very large number of people that Catch this virus and, and are simply asymptomatic and, and experience nothing from it. Um, and again, that's that's not to take away from the fact that it can be deadly to certain people. Um, I, I fully recognize that, and and I'm 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 happy to make that observation. Well, I mean, I'm not happy to make the observation, but I'm, I'm willing to make the observation. I guess this is a better way to put it. Well, correct me if I'm wrong. Is it are they.
1: Are they, I, I keep seeing things that asymptomatic people are not passing this virus along. Is that correct or am I, am I misunderstanding?
0: Well, that's, again, the, the new um, evidence as opposed to the old evidence shows that asymptomatic people apparently do not shed the virus. Um, but again, that that has changed because, uh, you know, a month ago, all the consensus was is that asymptomatic people very well could give the people or give other people um the virus so
1: that's how they first started pushing the fear was that asymptomatic people were passing this along they're saying you might have the virus not knowing it you're actually passing it along to people and now they're coming back and saying that that's not accurate
4: yeah it's funny that they did that because it they call it a coronavirus and there's tons of coronaviruses uh H1M1 is a coronavirus, swine flu is a coronavirus, the regular flu is a type of coronavirus. And the reason they're classified like that is because they operate similarly to one another. And you know, it's interesting that uh, they think all these things about this coronavirus to drive up some fear. And then they correct it later and go, oh yeah, that's just like everything else. Uh, this week even, uh, so similar. They've said that if you have uh, general immunity to the flu, because you've had it recently or you've had it before and you've had the immunity, that those are the people that are asymptomatic because they have partial immunity to COVID-19. Well, why is that? Because they're the same family of viruses. They're the same type of viruses. And it's the same with the asymptomatic transmission. They told us that, oh, asymptomatic transmission was you know a big, huge ordeal, and uh, you, were, you were killing people. If your body is attacking it such that you don't have any symptoms, that means your body's got it almost dealt with and killed, just like the flu, you, you don't pass it to anybody. If you don't have symptoms, you don't pass it. And so you know, they're having to slowly come back around and change that narrative, because they're realizing more and more and more. Oh, yeah. We classified this as a coronavirus, and shocker, it acts like a coronavirus. Um, and so I I always try to reference that with people. You know, hey, this thing isn't likely to act much more different than the regular flu or H one N one or any of the previous coronaviruses that you didn't freak out about. And if you didn't freak out about those, you really shouldn't this one.
1: Well, I liked when they first, when they when it came out too that if you if you keep if you take vitamin C and zinc. You're going to be able to fight this off a lot harder. I've been saying that for a thousand years now. It feels like take your vitamins. And it was funny when toilet paper was flying off the shelves, and the vitamin aisle was fully
2: stocked. And now you can go to the store and you can't hardly find vitamin C anymore. Nathan, oh, I was just going to say, man, the propaganda machine is just doing their—they're just doing their work, man. Uh, you know, I'm talking to friends, and they're telling me just how bad Florida and Texas are uh, because CNN is telling them that. You know, and nobody wants to point a picture, you know, point a finger at California is doing probably the worst in the country. And, uh, New York's doing pretty doggone terrible too. You know, I was looking at, uh, Florida and New York, really similar populations, just about 20 million each. Florida actually has a little higher population. New York has had 30,000 people die and Florida has had just over 2000 people die. You know, uh. So it's not, you know, it's it's different, and uh, it looks like the majority of deaths were in old folks' homes, right? And it looks like people over eighty, people with pre-existing conditions, whatever those are—diabetes, you know, dementia, you know, all the different things. But what people aren't talking about is like, so yes, it's killing old folks, but when you stick old folks in homes, and this is sad. But it's within like six months, 80 to 90 percent of them are dead anyways. They die. That's you're putting them in those places and you're putting them there because you know that, they, you know, they're towards the end of their life. And so this virus seems to be taking you know, maybe. Six months off of people's lives already, you know, it, and it's not it's not really affecting the young. So if we were looking at this virus in a different way, if we were looking at it in a, a way that it's taking, you know, If it was killing six-year-olds, you're stealing, you know, 80 years from this kid's life. Uh, And if you're now looking at it now, you're taking maybe six months, a year off of somebody's life. And uh, it's dangerous, and we should protect, you know, the elderly and the sick and the vulnerable. But this is crazy to be doing what we're doing.
4: Yeah, I can't remember which doctor it was in Europe. It was the guy that, I can't remember his name, it was the guy that first was calculating that 20 million Europeans were gonna die. And he came back and redid his calculations to like 100,000 or something, and said that after comparing the statistics of your average deaths compared to this, 80% of people who had died from COVID were going to die in 2020 anyhow from their pre-existing conditions or their age. And so, you know, when you look at when you look at the numbers and you start thinking about it like that, this isn't anything uh, that's killing significantly more people than the flu. It's definitely not killing more people than pneumonia. Pneumonia kills over three million people a year. You know, uh, nobody's ever put on a mask and and feared for their lives over pneumonia, and that's like the number one killer. Number two is HIV. Uh, You know, nobody's in there in a hazmat suit in the gym worried about catching HIV off of some sweaty, you know, equipment or anything because it's just not that much in the grand scheme of things because death happens. Um, That's not to be nonchalant. I don't want anybody to die. But when the suicides and the starvations and everything are eclipsing any amount of deaths, I mean, the the recent – um starvation count was that now 1.1 billion people in the world were starving because of shutdowns. Uh, uh, suicides are through the roof in many locations. In fact, they've predicted that this year there will be 350,000 additional suicides from the shutdown. You're not saving people, you're killing more people. And that's where my frustration comes just, you know, so hardcore. It's because it's the equivalent of pushing my two kids in the front of the bus to save the neighbor's one kid. That doesn't make any sense. That's not logical. You know, why would you go and harm more people than you're trying to save? And it really just boils down to uh, Nathan keeps saying it the propaganda machine. Um, and I was hoping it was going to reverse when people started seeing the effects on their neighbors. Um, I was really thinking it might click with people. I don't know anybody personally who has died from COVID. I know tons of people that have lost their jobs. Uh, You know, uh, that affects people. These people have kids. These people have wives. These people have elderly parents that rely on their ability to provide monetary funds for their care all these big pieces of the wheel of people's lives is just chopped up and destroyed because in Florida we're, we're worried about 2000 people that died. You know, it, it's just, it's just frustrating because of the propaganda machine. It's, it's not factual. It's not fair. It's not legit. And it doesn't tell the truth. And, and people don't, they either don't know or they aren't capable of deciphering that.
3: Yeah. Um, just, I did have somebody uh, lose somebody from the virus and it was an older stepbrother of mine and he um, definitely had underlying conditions and was on a respirator. And when they pulled him off, is when he passed. And, and I've been told and listened to so many things around this, um, that people are dying from the metal, the way they're handling it medically as well as, just people dying from the virus, and it's we get so much information, and it comes in so convoluted that, in a sense, we don't even know what exactly is true. Um, and that brings me back to just thinking of how we, as individuals, we need to be set free to make our own decisions. Um, and when we're when that's taken from us, you know, we it's we are problem solvers by nature. You know, we we got to where we're at, and you know, evolution, if you want to call it that. Um, by applying ourselves, there's some work that's been done. And it seems like when we're just told to follow orders and then these orders don't even make any sense, it's compounding these problems. Um, and I think that's where, like, sorry, I'm bringing it back religiously, um, where the word repent means change the way you think. And I think we often, as citizens of empire, we get this mindset of do what you're told. And yes, we just need to obey what we're told but what i see with the mind of christ so to speak to use that as the analogy is he he answers questions with questions and he's digging to find truth because it's not there on the surface and we really have to apply ourselves to to this type of thinking instead of just being a um a good citizen one that listens to what he's told and obeys
2: Uh, so I actually had a, a a good friend, uh, his aunt died of COVID as well. Uh, she was well, well into her eighties, um, sick lady, uh, very, very sad. But one of the things that I think is probably the saddest thing about it is you don't even get to see your loved ones before they go, you know, and how many old folks are sitting there alone right now because no one can visit them. You know, they are isolated. And I also heard, uh, you know, back in Washington when, uh, that a whole strew of old folks were dying in those homes there. Uh, a lot of the families were saying that like, they didn't think staff was even looking at the old folks because they were afraid of them, you know? And so how many of those folks died of just like, not necessarily neglect, but maybe neglect, you know? And just, uh, I think maybe that is one of the things that people aren't talking about too much is that, you know, I've, I've got a friend that's in the hospital right now. I haven't been able to visit him since like, march and uh how many people are going to be you know sicker or gonna die more because they don't have an advocate there they don't have families or friends there you know and they're just sitting there breathing their last breath by themselves yeah that's sad do do any of y'all have anything you want to plug before i let you go find my memes on the bad roman there you go excellent work
4: Check us out on Facebook at Live Religious Tea or rpmerch.com. Get you some cool swag to spread some good messages.
1: Yep. Good stuff. I love that flag, man.
4: Oh, yeah. We got flags that you can pray to. <laughs>
1: Literally. So, <laughs> I
0: got to go find it now. <laughs> Nicholas, you got a Facebook page as well, don't you? I do. Uh, I have uh, Anglo-Catholic memes for Christian anarchist teens, uh, which uh, uh, someone told me was was great in its specificity, and uh, and I agree. It's uh, it's pretty specific, but uh, but also you can you can add me uh, personally on Facebook. I uh, usually upset a lot of people with my posts, and it's fairly entertaining. So you can get involved. Yes, he's 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 pretty. He is upsetting. I mean, he was pretty
1: upsetting before we started recording. He's kind of backed off a little bit. but well, I'm a little <laughs> bit disappointed in. I mean, I can I can I can up the ante next time. Don't worry. I look forward to it. All right, guys. I really appreciate this. This has been a lot of fun. This is the longest podcast episode so far to date. So we, we're going to try and do these more often, probably once a month. And if anybody listen, if you have something that you'd like to hear us talk about, send us an email at thebadromanpodcast@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can also go to our website and leave us a voice message about a question and we will play your your message on the show as well you can do that or you can just send it to us through facebook as well at the bad Roman facebook page anything else guys oh uh, yeah no king but christ there you go all right guys i appreciate this
0: thanks for joining us this week on the bad roman podcast be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode and while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about the Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Left, right, left,
2: right, left. We got our marching right, orders, man. Left, right, left, right. Would rather serve God, than serve Caesar, you know me? Right, I'm just trying to live what he said I'm just trying to live